How's everybody doing this morning? All right. Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans. We're going to go to Romans chapter number 7. How many of you have heard the phrase in church, I'm just a sinner, or usually they throw in the, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Have you ever heard that? I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. And we find that when we speak, we are, we are in his stead in this earth. And when we speak, we put life to things. Does everybody pretty well understand that? When we speak, we put life to things. This is why I'm such an advocate of changing that, that thought in the hearts of Christians any and everywhere I go. I have studied this out, and I'm going to show you some things today to get this out of our mouth that I am an old sinner saved by grace or I am a sinner saved by grace because that is an impossibility. And we're putting life to this. We're putting life to sin in our life. We're speaking life to it. And when we're speaking life to sin, we're speaking life to our past. And when we start speaking life to our past, we're speaking life to all of our past. Is that really something, I mean, when we stop and consider about what we're doing, sometimes we do things just because that's what everybody does and what everybody says, you know. Uh, it's kind of like saying, I'm believing for my healing. Well, you know, is that really what you're doing or, or are, you, are, are you operating in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a level of faith toward your healing or are you just taking on a cliche that we learn at church, and and we're really never seeing that happen. We're really never seeing the healing come. So what we've got to do for us to grow in this, we have to see, God understands, we have to see um, evidence. If we're not seeing evidence, we lose hope. And when we start losing hope, we lose our expectancy. And it's not long before we give up and we... And we label from the church side, we label, well, you know, they just never got it. They never, they never really understood or they never had it or it was just too much. We're just too much for them or, or we use all kinds of reasons why people leave church. And I'm going to tell you, the, the biggest reason people leave church is they lose hope. They get tired and they get worn out trying to live a life that someone has somehow put an expectancy of this is. This is what you're supposed to attain, and this is how you're supposed to live, and, and you need to get there because you're saved now, and this is how you're supposed to act. This is how you're supposed to respond. This is how you're supposed to be, all right? So I'm going to take you to somebody that we're very familiar with, Paul, and I'm gonna, he gets so real here. He gets just so real that it's, it's more real than I want to be probably more real than you want to be. Amen? I mean, when you start talking about yourself personally, like Paul's talking here, it's, it really, we don't like to look at ourselves this way. 
especially if we've been in the way for, uh, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years, you know, we, I, I don't want anybody uh, thinking I'm doing anything wrong, you know, but, but let's, that's from turning pages too much. Um, let's just, I'll pick that up here in a minute. This is, this is a, this has been my study Bible for a long time and it, um, it has been used a little bit. So, um, so, so let's just go here. How did I get over to John from Acts? I, I mean, from Romans. I just did Romans here just a minute ago. There we go. All right, Romans chapter 7. We're going to start here in 14. All right. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Sold under sin. Carnal means the, the root word comes from carnivore. It means to say that I eat fleshly things. Uh, so I, I, I am, my appetite is toward my flesh. See, when we get saved, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, first of all, you cannot do that on your own. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. This thing in church that we're doing now is not biblical, where we just have people stand, repeat after me, and because you repeated after me, you are now saved. And, and now people are walking out the door, and they're struggling with this thing because nothing spiritual took place. Nothing transformed. See, when we get born again, what actually happens is the inerrant word of conviction, which that doesn't mean condemnation, that means a drawing. And any of, any of you have been saved, you know what that drawing feels like. And it, that word, the Bible says, Jesus talked about it as being a seed. And it went into the womb of your existence your spirit man, who was dead. And it touched the egg of your spirit man, and life began. That's why we see the study of a woman getting pregnant. It is a relation to our salvation. Because if that pregnancy doesn't take place, what happens is the egg is cast off. What happens if your dead spirit man, who's laying dormant inside you, what happens if he never receives the word of God? What happens, and I'm talking how many tens of thousands of seeds goes into a woman before she receives pregnancy? It could be tens of thousands upon thousands. Tens of thousands of words can come your way in your life, but only one word will touch your dormancy of your spirit and that one word will connect and, and start life. If that doesn't happen, we know that in the end, you will be cast off forever. Can you ever get that egg back, ladies, once it's gone? It's gone. Never to ever produce life. It's just gone. Okay? 
But once life begins, is there ever a turnaround? Well, I mean, in, in the vernacular of human existence, because we're imperfect and sin does exist in this life, yes, we have miscarriages and we have different things. But I can tell you right now what God said, what I begin, I will finish. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So now here's the deal. When he comes in and he sows his word in you, and for, for that one moment, you've heard you said in church, you've listened to people, Papa's tried to preach to you, Dad, Mama's tried to preach to you, everybody's tried to preach to you, but one day a word came and it touched you in such a way you couldn't get away from it and you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And all of a sudden, the life of God began to spring up inside of you. Amen? And when that happened, in that moment, Jesus seals this with a promise and says, He that began a good work in you, who began the good work in you? Did you do that? He did that. So he says, I began the good work in you. I will be faithful to complete it. Is he faithful? Absolutely. So this, so once that took place and life began, let me ask you, how do we believe it? This is why we believe as Christians that once life begins, you can go ahead and start naming that because that is a human being and there's no turning it around. Now you know where I stand on abortion. Okay, life began. Why do I stand that way? Because God says, once my word touches you, life begins, and I am faithful to complete this work. It is mine, and you in that moment. When did you get a new name written down in glory? Was it, was it after you did some really good works? Or was it when you, you were conceived? When you were conceived, God said, you have a new name. There's a stone up there somewhere that's got your name written on it. It's who you really are, and it is connected to Jehovah. When you, we all get there, we're going to find out. what, Because our name still means something to God. In all the Old Testament, every name was a label. Every name was a, an example of who you are. Okay? And when he named you, he named who you, who he sees you. And from that day forward, God only speaks life towards you. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are walking in the spirit and not after the flesh. I'm going to help you understand what that means. Because now we have to begin to understand we are no longer sinners saved by grace. But we are now children called and elected by God, chosen, anointed. His name is on us. There will be no regret for what he did because there's no shadow of turning in him. He does not regret because you have failed after failure after failure after failure. You're failing because... You don't understand how to get out of the failure, but it doesn't change who you are, and you are no disappointment to him 
because he is omniscient, all-knowing. Does God know the future? Does God know the past? Is God fully aware of the present? Then when did we get the idea that we should feel ashamed, that we should feel condemnation when we fail? I'm not putting a label of, of okay and approval on sin. What I'm saying is there's nothing after he came and he got his word in you and he created life in you and you begin to live again. When that took place in you, he already knew the challenge you were going to be. And you have never surprised him. Parents, when do we get angry with our children? It's not when they don't do what we tell them. That's not when we get angry. We get angry because we told them what to do. And in our fantasy world, we expected them to do what we told them to do. And when they didn't do what we told them to do, out of our surprise that our authority was not enough, we got mad. God never gets mad because you can't surprise him. What are you going to do to surprise him? You surprise yourself? Do you get yourself in situations? Do you find yourself in, in, in circumstances where you act out, do something, respond, practice something and and it becomes and then, and then the preacher gets up and says well if you're practicing sin you cannot practice sin and be a christian so therefore you're not saved so now you go into condemnation mode condemnation mode rolls you into a false conviction and you're crying out to god to redo something he's already done And it's a cycle, and a cycle, and it just keeps cycling. And when we're good, we're very good, and when we're bad, we're oh so bad. Let's see what Paul said about that, okay? Paul says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Wow. This is Paul talking. This is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. And he's in the middle of teaching the Roman church here. And he's telling them, what I want to do, I can't do. And what I, what I do do, I don't want to do. Okay? This is Paul. Then... If then I do that which I would, or hang, hang on, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay? Now when he says this, we have to be very careful to understand what he is saying and to understand who we are. 
You are a spirit now alive, living inside of a body who has a mind, a soul, which is a mind, a will, and an emotion. Okay? That's your makeup. He's, he represented himself as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three parts as one. Therefore, he created you in his image, and part of that image is you're a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. So when he says, sin is dwelling in me, now if I'm already saved, if the life of God in my spirit man is already there, and I'm born again, then is he talking about my spirit man? No. Is he talking about my soul? No. He's now talking about my flesh. Because before you met Christ, you had habits. And your mind was connected to your flesh to fulfill your fleshly desires and habits and, and all of those things, okay? All right? So when he's saying, see, we should not be surprised when we get saved to still find sin working in us, but sin still working in us does not make us a sinner because we're not of the sinner any longer. We are now born again. But that doesn't mean we've conquered all sin. Jesus Christ has conquered all sin, and through him we are more than conquerors. So therefore, we can conquer sin, but we've got to find out how. When we don't know how, we fight and struggle and strive and feel guilty and condemnation, and we're not supposed to live like that. You can't live victorious that way. And we live that way because we are focused on our flesh. And we get preachers up here in the pulpit and they point out flesh and they, they focus on flesh and they focus their message on what they see you do or what humanity is doing and, and we develop a message that brings more guilt, condemnation and, and trying to motivate us to change. And it's not working. It didn't work for me. It will not work for you. And so here we are at a straight betwixt two. What are we going to do? And many just decide, I'm done. I, I can't live like this. I didn't feel like this before I found God. What? <laughs> Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We come into the church, we get set free, and all of a sudden we're in bondage more than we ever were. That doesn't sound right to me. Right? Okay, watch this. He said, now I'm going to repeat this again. Now then, is it no more that more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me? For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For I... For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. How to perform? I can't find that. For the good that I would do, I do not. 
But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, he said this twice now. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What is the law of God? Life and righteousness. We're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the Word of God and what He says about you. God said there will come a day when I don't use the Ten Commandments any longer. I will put my law in their heart, what I say, what I say about them, who I say they are. And they will be established in who I say they are. Matter of fact, you have to understand the Ten Commandments were never written for the Gentile anyway. Although the Ten Commandments are still holy. They are still God's standard. But no man can ever follow them. Why are we continuing just as... And I'm not saying get rid of the Ten Commandments. That's God's standard. But why in the world are we constantly trying to obey them? When we, no one has ever been successful. No one in the whole human race from the time we have started on this planet, no one has ever fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Why are we continually trying to enforce that? What would be the purpose in continually trying to enforce something? What we have to accept is Jesus Fulfill them on our behalf, and now in him, we are no longer subject to them because he fulfilled them. So now how do we live this life? Paul's getting ready to show us. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Did you notice this? There's a law in my members. What's he talking about? Flesh. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. This is that, this is that up and down life. This is that. This is that going around the mountain over and over again and never be able to find out how, how, do, I, how do I get out of this? How do, I get, how do I step away from the condemnation of it all? How do I get out of this? He said, watch this. Here's, here's Paul's conclusion. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul was, Paul was showing us that he came to a conclusion, Russ, I'm a, I'm, I am a wreck. I'm an absolute wreck, and I can't get out of this. Thank God that Paul never gave up. We would have never had the rest of the New Testament. If he would have behaved like we often behave, we would have never had the rest of it. Because what we do is we just go, I just hope he has mercy on me on Judgment Day. I hope I can get in there. And then we watch others struggle, and we just, what's amazing to me is we have no problem at a funeral speaking them right on into the pearly gates. 
but we ourselves are wondering if we're going to make it. Hello? We'll always give grace to someone else, but we don't give grace to ourselves. Amen? And when we don't give grace to ourselves and allow grace to come to us, then we don't possess grace. And when we don't really possess grace, then grace, we have no grace to give until that funeral time. And then we kind of break down and we extend the grace then. But then after, you know, during the funeral and after the funeral, we're looking at other family members going, I'll tell you what, if they don't straighten up, they're going straight to hell. They're going to hell. I tell you, if they don't straighten up, they don't, you know. And then we get up there and we try to preach a message of going to hell and try to get them saved there at the funeral so that they don't, you know, they, this is a great time uh, to talk to them about, you know, your eternal existence and, and all of this. And, and really, uh, we're not extending grace to them either. Do you know what extending grace is? Do you know what grace is? Grace, grace is focusing on what God said and not focusing on what flesh manifests. Is it ignoring flesh's manifest? No. But you cannot stop flesh's manifest by focusing on flesh's manifest. Let me ask you this. When you're driving down the road and your wife says, oh, look at that deer, or look at that house, and you turn to look at the house, where is your car veering off to? You're going to go wherever you're focusing. And your flesh is going to follow. And if you're tired of your flesh going in a direction, you've got to change your focus. Because where your heart is, there your where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that's where you're going to go. The heart not meaning your spirit, man, but the heart of your thinking. That's why Paul said, that's why I talk so much about transforming our mind. He said, be not conformed to this world because the world is always looking at the flesh. When you approach anyone in this world, the first thing they're looking at you is they're looking at your shoes. They're looking at your pants. They're looking at your shirt, looking at how you're groomed. They're, they're looking at, you know, when they shake your hands, I'm telling you, they're looking at everything about you to find out, do you have anything? Come on, you do it every day. You run into somebody and you immediately walk away no, having the thought they don't have anything, they do have something, they're struggling for what they have, maybe they do have a little bit, maybe they just exist. You're always looking at where they fall in category to society. Why is it? It's just you're, because you're finding out who you're going to hang out with and who you're not going to hang out with. Because if they live too high above you, then you can't hang out with that. If they live too low, far below you, you really don't, you like you you'll extend a hand. You'll be you 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 show them a little mercy, but but you know you can't live there. I, I got to live here. That's just what we do. It's just what we do because it's our flesh operating. Because we operate after the flesh. The whole world out there operates after the flesh. 
You know, I, I, was, in, I was asking some interviewers, interviewees, and I said, uh, why is it that, interviewers, I'm sorry, I was asking, why is it that it's so important for people to go to college? I mean, if they got a good work ethic, why do, you, why do you have such a problem? He said, well, Dean, we're looking either for college or we're looking for someone who picked up a job early in their life and they stayed working at a job. He said, because we're not really looking for an education. We're looking for somebody who will stick to it. In other words, we're looking for somebody who has control over their flesh so that they can stay at a job long enough for us to invest in. So what are they looking at? Your flesh. They're not interested in what's in your mind. They don't care what's in your mind. We'll control you and make you do it the way we do it here. But what we want to know is, can you stick to it? Is your flesh able to handle it? Can, do you have enough control over your flesh to get up in the morning, show up, stay at work, and stay here for a long period of time? Because if not, we don't want to invest our money in training you to turn around and have you just leave. So what are they looking at? The flesh. Everybody out there is looking at the flesh. God does not look after the flesh. See, that's why it's so hard. Uh, you're, you, it makes our relationship with God so hard if we don't teach this gospel properly because we're looking at God and we're thinking God's looking after the flesh like everybody else in our whole life and existence is looking after the flesh. So we try to behave. So we go into church with behavioral modification. And the church is not about behavioral modification. The church is about life and heart transformation. And in life and heart transformation, your behavioral modification is, is going to be out of whack from time to time. And it's okay. It's the only place you're going to find we should find grace to deal with your flesh. Because I'm still dealing with mine. Hello? Do you know what death, what is so beautiful about death? The Bible tells us that death is a beautiful thing. Do you know what's so beautiful about death? Flesh is finally, we're finally separated from it. And we receive a new body. And we fight with it no longer. Man, that's what's beautiful about death is we finally get set free from the last bastion of hold on us. Amen. So Paul's telling us this, but I want you to understand he has a solution, and thank God he gave us a solution. This page is really tore up in my Bible. This one, I, I have to go get another Bible to find out what some of those words say on there, but... Because I've loved this one the most. <laughs> this one has meant more to me than, than the other did. Okay? The other said, I'm like everybody else. I'm struggling like Paul did. I'm struggling like you are struggling. You're struggling like me. I, that's a wonderful passage. But when I found this, because I kept looking going, okay, Paul, what's the deal here? We, you can't leave us hanging. But throughout... The rest of his writings, he's telling us how to overcome this thing that keeps us hung up. And so then he wraps it up really well in Galatians chapter number 5.
okay? Give me just a minute. Hang on to all my stuff here. Chapter number five. Number, uh, go, let's go to 16. Now, before we go to 16, I want you to notice how he starts chapter 5 out. Stand fast. In other words, hold still and you hold your ground. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul will always come with a statement that you go, I'm trying I'm trying, and we grab a hold of Paul's first statements, and we preach, and get we get into condemnation. Because God, Paul just gave you don't don't you get entangled with the yokes of the don't you get entangled, stay away from the entanglement. And then they'll preach, and f fire and hell and brimstone, and 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 then you're back to where, okay, I'm entangled again, and I. I'm hopeless here. I'm still the old wretched man. Okay? Paul always tells you, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. By the, and then he begins to tell you how. He, be, he tells you first with a hard line, be not entangled with the yoke of this, of your past ever again. Because it's, it's a yoke of bondage. Don't do it. Stand fast in liberty. Okay, Paul, well, how do I do that? Well, he goes on to explain, and down here in verse 16, this is where it's so beautiful. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Notice Paul wrote in Romans, I cannot do the things that I would. But now Paul has learned something, and now he's teaching the Galatians, saying, now this is why you cannot do the things that you would. He's now, he's now turned it away from himself and because he's learned how to do this. How do you do it, Paul? All right. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. What law is that? Sin and death that is working in my members. Understand, your flesh follows you everywhere you go. Your flesh does not just get up in the morning. Your flesh gets up on the alarm clock. Well, some of you. I still get up by alarm clock. Some of you might be retired and you don't have to get up by alarm clock, alarm clock any longer. But I know Rick and Judy, uh, Rick shared with me one time, they still get up at like 5 in the morning. Is it 5 in the morning, Rick? You're retired. When he first said I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I thought, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but he's... You know, he's ready for the, they're ready for the day. They're, they're anxious about their life and, and not anxious as in anxiety, but they're excited about their life and they get up to see that sunrise. They're up getting their coffee. It never changed from work to, 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 to retirement. And I still get up by, but, but 
but you know you get up by alarm clock because of your mind. Your flesh does not set that alarm clock. It is in your mind that you're thinking about your next day, planning on when you need to get up, when you need to be breakfast, when you need to be dressed and ready to go, and where you're going to go tomorrow. Who's making those decisions? Is your spirit making those decisions? No. Is your flesh making those decisions? No. Who's making those decisions? Your mind, your will, and your emotions are making thoughts and feelings, as Vic adds in. So you're having the thoughts. Your soul is. And you're making those decisions. And as you make those decisions, you just you may hit the snooze button once because your flesh says, oh, not now. Doesn't it? Your mind is, you, a lot of times you go hit that snooze button and you lay back and close your eyes and your mind's going, you got so much to do today. You got to get up. Come on, you got to get going. Uh, and, and your flesh is going, just seven more minutes. Just seven more minutes. And you're going, okay, we'll go seven more minutes. And then it rings and you hit snooze again. And your mind is going, come on, we got to go. We got to go, we got to go. And, and eventually your mind wins over because you're here today. And, and you got up, and you moved, and you started heading towards your day. But who's, who's following and who's in lead? Is the flesh in fo- is following, or is the mind following? The flesh is following. The mind is, is, is in control of what the flesh is doing. Why is that? Because of my, my ideas, my, my, my mind, will, and my emotions are in control of this. Okay? That's why Paul said he didn't say to try to fix your flesh. See, church, I'm not saying all church, but much of church is trying to get you to modify your flesh, to bring it into moderation and to control it. And I say it this way, trying to control your flesh is like trying to control a beach ball in a pool. You can push the beach ball under the water, and you can sit on it and gain a little bit of uh, uh, balance and hold it for a while. But eventually, that beach ball's coming up. And when it comes up, it's not just going to be floating on the surface. It's going to pop up with a splash. Isn't it amazing every time you try to control your flesh, you can control it for a while. And everything looks like you got it under control. We got this fixed. Hey, we're good. And this is where you get fooled. Because right when you say, hey, we're good, that's when you start waning on the word. You're waning on your prayer life. You're waiting on, and that's your relationship with Christ. Your relationship with Christ rests in the word and prayer. Okay? And what you're doing in that relationship is you're getting his thoughts and you're communicating with him. And he will communicate back. All right? But when everything's going really good in this cycle of life and, and living like this, we, we, we kind of wane because we're doing pretty good. We went to the Word because we're in trouble. We went to prayer because we're in trouble. We ha- we're struggling. But now all of a sudden, we're not struggling anymore. We're doing pretty good. And so, okay, well, I don't have to, I don't, maybe, I, maybe I'll just go to bed tonight and not read my Bible. I'll just wake up this morning. I'm a little busy. I want that cup of coffee a little more. I, I'd like to get some breakfast. And, and we just, well, you know what? I'll get that this afternoon or this morning. Or, or tomorrow, tomorrow uh, tonight. And we wane a little bit. We sit in front of the TV. We go through our day. We do whatever we're going to do. But we wane a little bit. 
He said, be not conformed to this world, which is the flesh, and how we look at everything's looked at upon the flesh. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does the flesh get transformed? Who, what, when he's talking about transformation, he's talking about transforming the mind first, and then when we transform the mind, the flesh follows. We're trying to get the flesh put out there in front, making it do what we want it to do, but the mind has never been transformed. The mind has never been changed about that. How, let me say it this way. Here's how Pat and I learned this. Spirit, the law of the spirit, remember, spirit, you can't see spirit, right? And the words I say are spirit and life. So if, I am, if I'm getting a hold of spirit, it has to be what he said. Okay, let's see what he says. He says, I call those things that are not as though they were. When I got a hold of this first time, my pastor, my home pastor, he's, he's passed away now. He, he gets it today. But at the time, he said, Dean, you can't talk like that. That's a lie. You're lying all the time. Well, if I'm lying all the time, God's lying all the time. Because when God stepped out on nothing and said, light be, was there light? Was there any indication of there being light? Was there light before he said that? So if there was no light before he said it, and he said light be or, or be established, then he was lying. Because there was no light. What's God talking about? See, the problem is we weren't created yet, Lois, to stand back and say, hey, God, you're lying. There's no light out here. There's nothing but darkness. What are you talking about? God says, light be, and the Bible says the next word is, and light was. Was there light before he called it? No. Was there light after he called it? Yes. Stay on that. I, I speak those things that are not as though they were, and they are. Okay? So one day he came along your existence and he spoke truth into you, and it reached into your spirit, man, touched and created life. Was there life there before he spoke? So somebody could have looked at you and said, they'll never make it. Your whole existence seemed to appear, you're a failure when it comes to this thing. You're never going to make it. I, you know, you need, you, and then we try to scare you to death with hell. And hell will not fix it. Only the life of Christ, which is wrapped up in the love of God, will bring life to your existence. And he spoke it, and you received it, and when you did, and you received it because he spoke it and he chose. And now you're saved. I don't care how you act, you're still saved. I told a young lady one time, she, she was afraid her grandmother was seeing what she was doing. <laughs> Grandma died. I said, well, first of all, Grandma don't care what you're doing. <laughs> Grandma, right now, is still making it through the roads 
and avenues of glory trying to figure out uh, which mansion she wants to see next and what prophet she wants to see next and what apostle she wants to see next because she's already seen her Savior, and now she wants to see the rest of it. So Grandma's busy right now, I'm sorry to say. But let's talk about you. Are you saved? Oh, no, 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 I'm not saved. Well, I knew the thing she was doing. And she says, yeah, but, I said, yeah, but have you ever been saved? Dean, I'm not saved. I said, okay, but have you ever been saved? Dean, you need to understand, the life I live, and this whole town knows, I am not saved. I said, okay, I get what you're saying. I want to know, did you ever find yourself at an altar asking Christ into your life? He, she said, yes, that happened, but I'm not saved. I said, when did that happen? And she said, we're in the middle of a convenience store. I said, when did that happen? She started telling me what day. What, she started just, here's the thing. I knew she'd been born again. I knew she'd been born again because I knew the blood was applied. And I knew the blood was applied because she could tell me all about that day. Oh, so long ago. How many of you ever went rabbit hunting? How many of you remember that, that, that smell of that rabbit when you started cleaning it? Remember the blood? Remember what that smelled like? Isn't it amazing when I'm talking to you about it right now, you've already went back there in your mind, and you remember that day, and you remember what went on? You know why you do? Because blood etches a memory in you. If I ask you if you've been cut somewhere on your body pretty good, and there was a lot of blood, you can tell me all about that. You know why you can tell me all about that? Because blood, the sight of blood made an imprint in your soul that you can never get rid of. Do you know why that's the case? Because that's how God created you, so that when he applied his blood to you, you would never forget it. So what I'm trying to say is, now that you've gone back there and you've been reminded again about that day, let me help you understand you're born again and there's nothing we can do about that. And there's nothing you can do about that. The problem is, some of us are struggling more with our flesh than others. Only because some of us are more conformed to his promise about us than somebody else's. And when you see it that way, there's something supernatural takes place in you. You extend grace and mercy to your fellow human being who's been born again, who's in the kingdom you are, but they're struggling because they just didn't get someplace where they could help them transform their mind. And because they couldn't transform their mind, they're not living in victory, in any sort of victory. And what they've learned from where they've gone to church is when I get really bad, I just withdraw because I don't want anybody else to see my mess. I don't want anybody else to see me mess up this bad. I don't want to see, I don't, I, I'm too embarrassed for someone to see me act out like that. When all it is is your beach balls coming back up. It's making a splash. It was always there. Amen? 
how does the flesh come into subjection to the spirit? When the soul comes in to agreement with the spirit rather than the flesh. So we have to quit looking at our children and saying they're not, I, I just give up. I, I, I've, I've spoke till I'm blue in the face. We've got to quit looking at our neighbor and going, I just, they just keep falling. The I don't know how long it's going to take. But as long as they keep speaking life to their flesh and failure to their circumstances, then failure and circumstances and sin are going to continue to grow and manifest in their life. So if we can get to them and help them understand, I told this young lady that day, I said, listen, you got born again then? She said, yeah, I said, so you're still born again today. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You are born again. And so here's the thing. You know, you can, you can hear it. You can receive it. But until you feel it, sometimes you just can't get it. So I said, you are a child of the living God. God, you, do you believe God knows everything? Yes. And that's when the tears started coming. He knows everything. I said, so he knows everything you're doing. Yes. I said, did he know you were going to do this when he saved you? And then she stopped. Well, I suppose he did. I said, if he knows everything, he knew when he found you. So he made a mistake finding you? Now, if God made a mistake, we are all in trouble because that means God can fail. And if God can fail, failure is in the mix of him and failure is apt to be produced or manifested at any time in your life or mine. Can he fail? No. If he cannot fail and he chose someone, I'm not talking about a mass salvation. See where we failed? See where we have failed in Christianity? Mass salvation so we can mark down somewhere that we've had so many people born again? Take a guess. How many seats do we have? How many hands were raised? We got to have about that many this Sunday morning. Hey, look at what we did. We can send that into the home office and let them know that this church is doing something. If no one, if hearts and lives are not transformed, you're doing nothing. I'd rather have, Jesus had 12 and he transformed them. And we think success lies in a large church with a lot of people and a lot of salvations. Jesus saved 12 people. He transformed 12 people, and then one of them was a failure. So let us know we're not going to be 100%, all right? It's not that Jesus failed. It's just that one would not receive. So not everybody's going to receive, okay? So let's help us understand it's not about the numbers. It is about the transformation of lives. And that's all that it's about. That's all that it's about. And that transformation comes from a relationship with him, getting to know who you are. Now, this is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. Not stopping doing what you've been doing. This is the hardest thing for you to do, is to stand in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God by Christ Jesus. I am a child of God. Jehovah is connected to me. I am sinless. 
I am righteous. I am full of God. God is doing a work in me, and he will faithfully complete it. So today, I walk out of this house as a righteous individual of Christ Jesus, fully loved by him. Now you're speaking those things that are not. Hello. As though they are, because now you're speaking like your father, and that's what your father believes about you. And I'm telling you, as you do that and believe that and, and know that, what will happen is your flesh, will be, your mind is going to be transformed. You'll read the Bible differently. And as your mind transformed, your flesh will follow. It has to because that's the way it works. Is that all right today? Folks, I'm telling you, we are more than conquerors through Christ. When Paul said the prayer, he said, Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me? The next verse is, I thank God for Jesus Christ, his son. Who's Jesus? Hello, I've taught y'all. You there who are new today, you might, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Who's Jesus? We said the son of Jesus, son of God. Jesus is the word. Every time you see Jesus, you can say that's the word. Every time you see the word, you can say well, that's Jesus. Because Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. God, you can always look at, in, anywhere in the Bible you see God show up, you can replace God for love. Because God is love. And everywhere you can see love, you can put God in there. Remember the Bible says love is patient, love is kind? Just replace that and say God is patient, God is kind. Now you're going to begin to find out who God is. All right? Is everybody good? Is that all right? Is this something you can transform your mind to? Be encouraged today. You are the righteousness of, of, of God through Christ Jesus. You are born again because you were chosen. Say it with me. I'm chosen. That makes me his choice. I'm an heir. Say it. I'm an heir. And not just an heir. I'm a joint heir, which means everything Jesus gets, I get. Nothing less, nothing more. That's why the Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly places. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Father, that this is, this is the truth. And the Father, we love you because you first loved us. And Father, I thank you that this word goes out into the heart and in the mind Father, the heart of their mind. And Father, may it, may it take root. Father, let that seed, Father, it's in there, word. Father, I ask you to send your rain. I ask you, Father, to, to, to bring in the, the sunshine in their life. Father, show them. And Father, in this, we prosper. In this, we prosper. And Father, we give you the glory and the praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.